Well, if you have a Bible, go to Luke chapter 10. And if you don't have a Bible, we're going to put it up on the screen or you can pull it up on your phone, Luke chapter 10. Are y'all doing good this morning? I hope so. I've been praying for you and uh, I'm so excited to see you. And we're going to have communion together at the end of this message and it's going to be a beautiful time. So make sure you stay till the end. It's going to be awesome. And you should have gotten that communion element when you came in. If you didn't, at the end, our ushers will give that to you. And uh, so you can save that to the side. But in Luke chapter 10, and for those that are watching online, on TV, we welcome you. We're so glad you're watching today. Let's give a big hand to all those that are watching on TV, online. Welcome to Victory, Sunday morning. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus. And he asked him this question, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law say? And how do you read it? And so the man replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, correct, you're right. If you do this, you will live. And then the expert, looking for a loophole, trying to justify his actions, asked this question, and who is my neighbor? Let's all ask that together. And who is my neighbor? Won't you be my neighbor? Y'all remember that song? Who is my neighbor? There was a contest that a famous cosmetic company did several years ago, and the contest was to try and find the most beautiful woman in the world. And so they, they put it on TV, they sent it out online, they sent out letters, they wanted anyone and everyone, whether you bought their products or not, they wanted you to send in a picture with a letter attached to that picture describing who the most beautiful woman in the world was. They wanted to find her. And they were gonna narrow it down to the top 1,000. Thousands were being sent in. Then narrow that down to the top 500, then the top 100, and finally get down to the number one most beautiful woman in the world. And while entries were coming in, thousands of entries, there was one entry that stood out so much so that all the editors called in the president of the company and said, you've gotta see this and tell us what to do. And so the president came in and he opened the letter. And the letter was from a little boy who came from a broken home. His parents were divorced. His mom wasn't in the picture. He lived with his dad in a very torn down part of town. It was, he was very poor and he described his life as someone who didn't have hardly any friends. No one talked to him. Didn't have that great of a relationship with his dad. But there was one bright spot in this little boy's life. And he said, let me tell you who the most beautiful woman in the world is. She lives down the street from me. She's one of my neighbors. She's the most beautiful woman in the world. We hang out every day. She meets me out in her front yard. We play catch. She invites me inside and we'll have lemonade together. She listens to me. She makes me feel like I'm the most important person in the world. And when I leave her house, after she's listened to all my problems, she shouts out to me, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. And he said, that is the most beautiful woman in the world. Attached to this letter was a picture. It was a picture of a woman who was toothless. She was smiling real big. Her hair was pulled back in a bun. She was missing spots on her head where the hair had stopped growing, very gray, very wrinkly, well advanced in years, a completely different body type than all the other pictures that had been sent in. 
And the president was looking at this picture, but on this woman's face was just this beautiful twinkle in her eye. And the president said this to his editors, we can't use this entry because then the whole world will know that they don't have to buy our products to be beautiful. And I love his response because it's true. Beauty comes from within. That there's something beautiful about the way someone treats others. How many know some beautiful people in your life? And if you're a husband sitting next to your wife, you should raise your hand just for brownie points. But here's the point that beauty is something not only that we're supposed to have, but God has created us to live in that beauty. It's amazing how you can be attractive on the outside, but ugly on the inside. The way that you treat other people, you're repelling people from you. And yet to this little boy, this was the most beautiful woman in the world. You know, when we talk about who is my neighbor and how do I love my neighbor, the way that that woman loved that little boy, I think first we have to understand where does love come from? First John 4, 7 and 8, this was a scripture I memorized as a kid and, and yet it wasn't a revelation in me. I, I had heard this scripture, we sang a song in Sunday school, beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God. He that loveth not, that God is love. Beloved, let us love one another. First John 4. Come on, there's our Sunday school crew right there. There's about 100 of us. It's all right, if you didn't know the song, you belong here. <laughs> You're like, this is a weird cult. No, it's not. <laughs> We just, some of us know some songs, but 1 John 4, 7 says, dear children, let's not, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. So, so if we're going to love our neighbor, we've got to know where does love come from? That it's not from the world. It's not like, you know, the news created it or romantic movies made it or Romeo and Juliet made it or Shakespeare made it or someone from history. Like this came from God. God is the author and the creator of love. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God for God is love. It's amazing how you can memorize that scripture but not have a real revelation of that in your life. That was me. I had been trained by my parents to love people, to understand God's love, but it wasn't real on the inside of me as a teenager. I needed to have a wake up. I needed to have a revelation. I remember going on a missions trip to Africa. We were in Tanzania and we had gone to this one town. I, I can't remember the name, but we had started to set up in this one part of town. It was really smelly and there was this big, big mound of stuff and there were dogs and cats and I saw some rats run, running around and I was thinking, are we in the right place? And our team leader said, this is where we're gonna set up. You can put your bags down. Nobody wanted to put their bags down. There was fluids running in the streets and I turned to one of the interpreters. I said, what is this place? He said, this is where all the city sewage ends up. This is where the city trash dump is and hundreds of people live right here around all of this. And so our team leader said, this is where we're gonna do dramas. We had brought a portable sound box and he said, we're gonna set up, we're gonna share the love of Jesus. We're gonna hang out here for a couple of hours. And I was trying to get over the smell and they said, Paul, you're assigned to watch the bags and set up the sound box. 
So I get all the bags in a dry area of the road where the liquids aren't running through. And I set up the sound box. I tuck my shirt in. I didn't want my skin to touch the ground. I'm sitting there and I was thinking, I'm gonna have to wash these clothes a lot after this trip and how smelly it was. And, and I was sitting there and all of a sudden this little boy runs up and he sits on my lap. He's not wearing shorts. He's not wearing a t-shirt. He's not wearing shoes. He's just in underwear. And I was thinking, this is inappropriate. <laughs> And, and in the United States, we don't let strangers' kids come and sit on our lap. And I was thinking, I got to get him. He was about two and a half, three years old, the, the age of my son, Liam. And, and he comes and sits on my knee. And God says, don't move him off your knee. Let him sit there. And so he's sitting there. And he looks up at me and kind of smiles. And he goes, <sighs> and I'm like, thanks, God. What do you want to teach me? <laughs> I'm sitting there and there's snot on my shirt. He's sitting there smiling at me. And all of a sudden I started to feel liquid love flow through my jeans and he's laughing. He just starts using the bathroom on me. He's going number one, just going for it. And it just starts flowing, goes through my jeans and I'm like, yeah. I was like, I want to get this little guy off of me. And I was single. I had never babysat a child in my life. I wasn't a father yet. So I wasn't experienced with these moments. And, and God said, squeeze him even tighter. And so I put my arm around him and he just smiled as he was still going. And <laughs> I'm squeezing him. And God said, this is how I treat you when you mess up. This is how I treat you when you sin, when you screw up, when you humiliate yourself, when you're embarrassed. I squeeze you even tighter. And man, that day I got a revelation of the love of God. He said, Paul, not only do I have unconditional love for you, but I have radical love for you. That I don't just put up with you when you sin or when you mess up or you do something and Maybe you feel like you didn't preach as good of a sermon and you're putting yourself down or your insecurities flare up and so you treat people wrong. I don't say, get off my lap, you, you embarrassing little child. No, I squeeze you even tighter. And I go, God, that's the kind of love I wanna live with. You can't give love that you haven't received. You can't give love to other people, to your neighbors, if you haven't experienced the love of God yourself. And so we need a revelation of God's love and not just the words, I love you, but 1 John 3, 18 says, let our love not just be in words, but in action and in truth. Let us show people God's love. When I was in high school, I was really struggling with insecurities. And I was a sophomore at Victory Christian School and we had a foreign exchange student program where students would come from other nations to our school and this sophomore year, there were a few students who transferred from South Korea, all by themselves, moving thousands of miles away. One of them was named Wu Wan, and he came to Tulsa, Oklahoma. He left Big Bubba, little sister, mommy and daddy, all by himself, traveling thousands of miles as a 15 and a half year old to come to Tulsa, Oklahoma. And to be honest, because of my own insecurities and selfishness, I didn't even notice him. And it wasn't like our school was a massive school. There was maybe 95 kids in my class. And I didn't notice that certain days, Wu Wan would start off in the lunchroom, sitting by himself at a table, 
And out of embarrassment, because no one was sitting with him, he would go upstairs to the art classroom and eat by himself in the art classroom. I didn't know that. I didn't know that a lot of people in our school would maybe say something to him, say hi, but no one was really being his friend. And so our missions trip came along. Isn't it crazy that we wait till a missions trip to reach out and love people that are different than us? So I was a sophomore, I signed up for the missions trip. Wuhan not only had the boldness to come to Tulsa all the way from South Korea by himself, living with people he didn't know, but he had the audacity to sign up to go on a missions trip with the same group of people that he had yet to connect with as friends for the last eight months, and now he's going to Mexico with them. And so I get to Mexico and I'm thinking, I hope I get to room with my buddies. Daniel, Daniel, Dan I had so many Daniel friends. <laughs> like all my friends' names were Daniel and then I had Jonathan and AJ. But I didn't get to room with them and they said, you're gonna room with Wu Wan. And to be honest, I was a little upset. I was insecure, I was selfish. I was so focused on us four no more. My friends, I was, it wasn't that I was mean or prejudiced or racist or, or, or had bigotry in my heart. It's just that I didn't really care about people outside of my small circle of friends. And I think this is the case for a lot of people is that we've drawn such a small circle. There was jackets that came out in the 80s called members only jackets. Y'all remember those? Some of y'all are still wearing them waiting for the trend to come back in. It's coming, it's coming. <laughs> members only. But you see, Christianity is not a members only type of mentality. The circle of Christianity is meant to become an ever enlarging circle, bringing people in. That's how Jesus lived. That's how he ministered. That's who he hung out with. And I remember rooming with Wu Wan and man, I had judged him. I was thinking, I, we're not gonna get along. He barely speaks that much English and we don't have anything in common. But man, night after night, Wu Wan and I would stay up late having conversations. I found myself laughing with him, him laughing at me, and just building this awesome friendship with Wu Wan. And at the end of the trip, this preacher was preaching a message. We were in Tijuana, Mexico, right below San Diego, so across the border of California. And, and this preacher's preaching a message, and at the end of the message, people are coming down to the altar call, and our team is going down. We're laying hands on people, praying for healing, praying for people to get saved. Out of the corner of my eye, I see Wu Wan coming down to the altar, not to pray for people, but to receive prayer. And I felt the Holy Spirit tug on my heart, go and pray for Wu Wan. It's wild how I was saved, I was spirit-filled, I had memorized scriptures, but there were areas in my heart that still needed a lot of work on. And this is what Christianity is. You are justified immediately when you call on the name of the Lord and you acknowledge him as your Lord and Savior. And sanctification is this continual process of the Holy Spirit and God showing you areas in your heart where there's hatred, where there's selfishness, where there's insecurity, fear, prejudice, racism, bigotry. And he's saying, that's going to have to change. You are a Christian, but you got some junk that needs to come out. And so I was standing there in that moment, the Holy Spirit's going, go and stand next to Wu Wan and pray for him. So I go over to him and I put my hand on his shoulder and I said, hey, Wu Wan, I'm just praying for you. I was 15 and a half, maybe 16 years old. He was the same age. He turns around and man, he just bear hugs me. 
And at first, all the insecurities came up, all the teenage insecurities. I was thinking, we have completely crossed the proximity line for young boys <laughs> to be hugging. But then God was like, get over yourself. Just hug him. And so I just hugged Wu Wan. I closed my eyes. I just stopped caring what any of my buddies might have think. And that's all in our heads anyways. But I stopped caring what anyone else was going to say or think. And for 30 minutes, I can't remember a more intense bear hug than this moment in my life. But for 30 minutes, we just squeezed each other. Man, he just squeezed me. And he's weeping. He puts his head in my chest. <laughs> He's crying, he's shouting. I, was, I wasn't gonna open my eyes because I didn't know what people were thinking, but he's just shouting and, and weeping in my chest. And, and, and there was no AC in this church. And so we're both sweating and we're drenched in tears. And finally, after 30 minutes, he lets go of me. His eyes and his face are just red from all the tears. And he looks at me and he says, you're the first American to hug me. The first, you've been here for nine months, away from dad, away from mom, away from anything that you were comfortable with in South Korea, living by yourself. And it took a missions trip. Oh man, I was heartbroken. And I just said, God, I'm sorry for how selfish I've been and for how insecure I've been to miss this guy. After that moment, something started changing and it wasn't overnight. I didn't perfectly shift into the love of God that I needed to have the next day. But I began to change. And the friendship with Wuwan began to grow. And all the way up until he moved back to South Korea, we were friends. And if I was to see him again today, we'd still be friends. But something started stirring in my heart. Who is my neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Back to Luke chapter 10 and verse 28, he asks that question. Verse 29, who's my neighbor? And Jesus responds with this story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. I need a Jewish man. Where, where is, uh, Brother CJ, will you be part of this story? Give CJ a big hand. Come on, somebody. Now, stay right there. He's on a journey. The Bible says a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Now, about this time came some robbers. AJ, will you be one of the robbers? Come on, give Pastor AJ a big hand. CJ, you start walking down this way. And the robbers, it says, they beat him, attacked him, they stripped him of his clothes. We're going to leave that part out. They left him half dead beside the road and they got out of here. <laughs> Will you stay right there, CJ? <laughs> he wasn't dead yet, but he was half dead. He was bleeding to death. He was robbed. His money was taken. 
Now, look at what happens next. By chance, in verse 31, a priest came along. Ron McIntosh, will you be a priest here? <laughs> Director of Victory Bible College. He, this priest had his suit on. He had been spending time in the presence of God. He had been memorizing scriptures. He had just come out of his Bible study. Oh, he was tight with God. Come on, Jesus. And he looked to his left and he saw someone hurting. And he said, I've got to get back to church. I've got to go to my Bible study. I got people to be with. Give them a big hand. <laughs> you know, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 says this. And I want to just insert this scripture here. It says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge. Do you see what I'm saying here about the priest? It wasn't just about pastors. It was about Christians who should be the first ones to stop and help someone who's hurting who've been memorizing scripture, grown up in church, who've been at Bible studies, who are qualified to teach a connect group, and yet they miss the test of God's love. If I didn't have love, I'd be nothing. Now back to the story in Luke chapter 10. A temple assistant, this was a Levite. I need a Levite, Antonio. This was a worship leader. So imagine a worship leader. He's been writing songs. He's been singing with the choir. He's just written a song about God's love. He's been singing. Yeah. He looks over at a man who's hurting and he's thinking, I'm going to go write a song about that. <laughs> Hope he gets better. <laughs> Give Antonio a big hand. But he's still hurting. This Jewish man is hurting. A priest has walked by. A worship leader has walked by. And they've both, both missed their moments. And he's still crying for help. And finally, it says, a despised Samaritan. I need a despised John, will you be a despised Samaritan? My brother John, an incredible guy at this church. He saw his father-in-law lying on the ground. <laughs> And it says that the Samaritan leaned down and he felt compassion for him. And going over to him, he soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and he bandaged them up and he put the man on his own donkey. Who wants to be the donkey this morning? I'm just kidding. And then he carried him back to the inn. Give these guys a big hand. John and CJ. Pay attention to this scripture. We had some fun, but you don't want to miss the point of this message. The people who should have stopped didn't stop. The person who had every right to ignore this man stopped. Why would it say despised Samaritan? Because Jesus knew when he was talking to this lawyer, this expert, he knew that Samaritans and Jews did not get along. There was a racial discrimination against Samaritans and Samaritans against Jews. They hated each other. They couldn't get along with each other. 
They had differences. They had prejudices against each other. And so Jesus said, this despised Samaritan became the good Samaritan. He became the hero of the story. And not only did he just have sympathy and compassion, he knelt down and he paid the innkeeper to take care of this hurting Jew. And then he paid to make sure that this man would be taken care of the rest of his life. Everybody say, follow through. Loving thy neighbor is more than just saying, I love you. I'm going to write a song for you. I'm going to preach a message about you. Loving thy neighbor is stopping and helping someone who's hurting, no matter how different they are from you, no matter what color of skin they are, no matter what they've walked through, it's choosing to love them. It's choosing to love them. Why do we need this message? Our world has a lot of hurt and a lot of hate in it. A few weeks ago, my wife and I were watching the news and across the screen came this story of a fourth grader boy in West Virginia who had been bullied by some guys on the playground. He was 10 years old. They made fun of him because he was, they said, you're fat. They said mean things to him. And over and over and over, he just kept replaying those words in his mind, to the point where he went home, he wrote a note, and he ended his life as a 10-year-old boy. His little sister found him in the room, and he was gone. She couldn't bring him back to life. And man, when I saw this on the news, my heart just started breaking. I, I just grabbed my, my wife's hand, and I just started praying for our country. I said, what in the world is wrong with our nation? What in the world is wrong? that we have this happening still, that this junk is still going on in our world. And we just started praying. I started crying. I started praying for him. But I started thinking about what the Good Samaritan was, what he did, what Jesus wants us to do. And I think the first point is this, is that God wants us to see people with eyes of love. No matter what they look like, that we would see them with eyes of love. How do you see the people that are around you? It's easy to love people that look just like you. It's easy to love your best friends. But it's hard to love people that aren't in your immediate circle. People who work with you that might be a different color of skin than you, that might have a bigger body type than you, that might be smaller or, or, or taller or shorter. People who come from another country. People who have a different accent from the deep south or way up north that we would learn to see people with eyes of love and, and not just be colorblind, because I don't think colorblindness is the word, but the ability to love people and celebrate their unique differences that God loves black people, white people, Native Americans, Asians. He loves every person. Russians. He loves Jewish people. He loves... Iraqi people. He loves people from the Middle East. He loves Egyptians. He loves every tribe, every tongue, not just to see people as everyone's gray, but to see people as everyone is special and valuable and unique, whether they came in here in a Rolls Royce or they came in here with a wheelchair. Did we say everybody is valuable? I'm going to see everybody, whether they've got it all together whether they sin the way that I've sinned or whether they sin in a completely different way than I've sinned, I am not gonna look down on them and say I'm more superior than they are. See people with eyes of love. 
I think it first starts with asking ourselves that question, how do I see Jesus? How do I see Jesus? What does he look like? So many people think Jesus looks like this guy, that he's got pale white skin, blue eyes, blonde hair. He's from Sweden and he just came in from a Michael W. Smith concert or something. His hair is blowing in the wind. Some people see Jesus as this guy and this is Jesus to them. Some people see Jesus as this guy. This is Jesus to them. You know, when you go to China, this is a popular picture for Jesus. But some scholars and theologians got together and they started looking at the depictions in the Bible of what Jesus looked like. And they started piecing it all together. And they actually found that the picture of Jesus was much different than we all thought, that he actually looks like this. And if he came into the room, how would you see him? And the main point is this, that not that we're looking for this guy, but that we would look at everyone and say, you're made in the image of God. You carry Jesus. Vinay, you carry Jesus inside of you. You carry Jesus, OC. You carry Jesus, Robin. That the way I treat my wife, that I see her as she is the image of God. That the way I treat someone, my brother, my sister, someone from another race, someone from another country, that I would see them through the eyes of love. The second thing is that we would hear with ears of love. You know, the good Samaritan, he had the ears to hear the cries of someone who was hurting. He had the ears to hear and understand someone needed his help. Oftentimes, we're listening to analyze people's problems. We're listening to give our opinion of the latest story that just flashed across CNN, Fox News, ABC, CBS, NBC, CNBC, whatever news station you watch. And can I just say, news stations, their job is not to unify the body of Christ. Their job is not to bring love and reconciliation into the world. There is an agenda in news stations and biggest agenda is to, to make money and to make sensational stories and to find the craziest situations and amplify it and bring division in our country. But the church's job is to look beneath the surface and recognize we can bring people together. We can stop racism. We can stop murder. We can stop hatred. We can stop this bullying attitude but we've gotta be listening to the Holy Spirit. We've gotta be in tune to hear our brothers and sisters that are hurting. I wanna show you a spectrum to look at and just see if you find yourself on this spectrum. And it's a spectrum of what's been going on in our country. And I think the first place that a lot of people need to start with asking yourself is, am I an active bully? Am I actively pushing a message of hatred. I may not be intentionally thinking that I'm doing it, but maybe I've been taught. Where did those boys learn how to bully that little 10-year-old on the playground? Did they learn it in children's church? Did they learn it in second grade class? Or did they learn it at home from mommy and daddy, Uncle Jack, Aunt Susie, Uncle Johnny, watching TV, listening to racial jokes, listening to how Papa puts down people from Mexico, listening to how Gigi talks about people from the north side or people from the west side, listening to how Mommy talks about 
Jewish people, listening to how daddy talks about Middle Eastern people, listening to how Big Bubba talks about people that are shorter. Somewhere there's just been this training ground of speaking mean words, name calling, using terms about a person's color of their skin, using terms about someone from another country. Every day we see this on the news. Then the next level on the spectrum would be passive bullying. You're not saying the names, you're not telling the jokes. It's not that you're the employer that's denying someone to be employed at your place because of the color of their skin or because of their accent or because of their smell. That's not you. But you're also not stopping the jokes. You're listening. You're hanging in the conversation. When they start to put people down, you just kind of laugh or you're like, mm, I, he shouldn't have said that, but I'm not going to tell him to stop because I don't want him to reject me. Guilty by association. Then the next level on the spectrum would be a rookie reconciler. You're at the beginning stages. You're starting to notice something's wrong in America that we have a fourth grader taking his life because 10-year-olds are calling him names. I had a woman today after the 9 a.m. service come to me and she's in her 50s. She said, I was bullied as a little girl on the playground. I was pushed down. I had glasses. I looked a little bit different than the other girls. I didn't fit in with the popular girls. And she said, these were girls that were in church, not here in another place, but she said, man, they, they knew scriptures, they knew the Bible, but it's like they thrived on being the mean girls and just putting me down. I, I, I wasn't as skinny as them. I wasn't a cheerleader. And it was like I was invisible. And she said, thanks for talking about this today. Because racism, prejudice, bullying, it's not limited to one race. It's not limited to one age group. It's not just little kids that do it. It's adults. It's all people that are tempted to get into that place of just speaking mean words and doing mean things to people. The beginning of reconciliation is I care about what's going on. I don't know what to do, but I want to find out. I want to seek to listen to the cries of people. And then the, the last point of this spectrum is I want to become an advocate of God's love. Okay, so when we're hearing people that are hurting, we want to move to that place of doing something about it. So the third thing I want to tell you today is this. Feel with the heart of love. Feel what's happening in our city, in our world, and let it break your heart a little bit. Don't just close your eyes, change the channel and say, oh my goodness. Stop analyzing and, and, and having an opinion about everything and start praying about stuff. Start crying a little bit about what's going on. Start going, Lord, help us heal our land and start with me. If there's anything in me that's, that's mean, pull it out. These last two weeks, man, I've been just praying for our city and it's awesome to see how Tulsa has responded. You saw on the news how Tulsa has had a surge of prayer while other cities have had a surge at times of violence. But even though there's been a surge of prayer, there's still a lot of hurt and pain going on. And I found myself just crying and praying for our city, crying and praying for Terrence Crutcher's family, crying and praying for my friends that are black, 
crying and praying for the family members and friends of Terrence Crutcher, crying and praying for police officers, crying and praying for Officer Shelby. I'm not going to limit who I'm going to pray for and who I'm going to show God's love for. You say, well, whose side are you on? I'm on the side of compassion. I'm going to show peace and love and compassion to all people. And so this last week as a church, man, we reached out across our community. I got to just talk to and pray for Officer Shelby and her family. Then we got to go and pray for relatives and friends of Terrence Crutcher. And I went downtown and me and AJ and Tim, we just went, went down there as advocates of love, advocates of peace. And when we got down there, I saw my friend Demario. I haven't seen him in a while from Victor Bible College. And he said, Pastor Paul, thanks so much for coming to pray. Thanks so much. He said, you remind me of Billy Joe. I mean, this is what he would do. Your dad, those of you who don't know Billy Joe, is my dad. And he said, thanks for being here. He said, take a picture with me real quick. And so I jumped in a picture with him. And there's a picture of me, Demario, AJ, Tim, Don Ellsworth. And guys, can I just say something? If you think racism ended after the Civil War, after Civil Rights Movement, you're mistaken. It's still existent in our world, whether it's towards whatever race. And we've got to change it. This ought not to be this way. And so I've spent the time just, man, going up to police officers, hugging them and praying for them and saying, hey, we love you. We're praying for you. Listening to family members of people just saying, I, I don't know what to do. I'm hurting. Pray for me. And my challenge for all of us is that we would move down that spectrum to become advocates of God's love and healing, that we would feel with a heart of love what's happening in our world and let it break our hearts a little bit. And the fourth point is this, is that we would become intentional advocates of God's love and healing, that we would become intentional advocates of God's love and healing, that, that you would start asking yourself on a daily basis, who is it hard for me to love? I had a guy come down last night after church in a wheelchair. He's 65 years old. And he said, you know, people who are handicapped are some of the most overlooked and ignored and invisible people oftentimes in places. And he said, I, I've been many times mistreated because of being in a wheelchair. And he said, there's been times I've wanted to come down to the altar call and First thing people want to do is try to get me out of the wheelchair and pray for me. But sometimes I just want to go down to the altar call because I need healing in my heart. I need to repent of my sins. And sometimes I just wish people would see me as a normal guy like the other guys in this church. I've heard another family say our, our, our child has Down syndrome. And we've seen people mocking and making fun of her and imitating her in a mocking way. At Victor Bible College this last week, I opened the discussion. I said, how many of you have experienced maybe discrimination in some way? How many of you felt hurt? And I'm preaching this message for a lot of reasons. We're headed towards an election season. It's, it's a few weeks away, but we've got to get this deep in our hearts that we are called to love one another. They will know we are Christians by our love. And you are a Christian before you are a Republican, a Democrat, an American, an Israeli, an Iraq, wherever you're from, you are a Christian. You are part of the family of God. And you've been given the message of reconciliation. 
And so we no longer evaluate people from a flesh point of view, but we see them as all of God's children, red and yellow, black and white. They are all precious in his sight. This man in my class, he said, I graduated top of my class in my university as an engineer. I scored higher than any other student at my university. It was an elite university in Oklahoma. He said, I have been out of school for four years. I've applied at several places to be an engineer, several different companies. I watched guys who scored way lower than me, way below me in that class, immediately get a job, and I still haven't gotten a job. And he said, the other guys that got jobs, they were white. And he said, I look in the mirror, and sometimes I ask myself, am I valuable? Am I valuable? And man, I just held this guy, and I just squeezed him. I said, you are valuable. Give me your information, because I'm going to pass it along to someone in our church. And I said, you are valuable. And I think sometimes we, we close our eyes, and we plug our ears, and we think nothing's going on in the world, and we think people are, are stop that. When you have that attitude of everyone's a victim, you are missing out on the love of Jesus Christ that's meant to flow through you. Holy Spirit, where do you want to go with this? Direct this right now. I want you to think about people in your life, people in your neighborhood that look different than you. And I want you to think about this week being intentional about loving other people. Being intentional to inviting someone outside of your circle of friends to come eat with you this week at work. To come sit with you at church. Man, I'm thankful victory is so different. It's so special. And if you've ever, yeah, praise God for how unified and diversely, uniquely unified our church is. It's the love of God. It's the seeds of my parents. It's the seeds of many of you that have been here years and years that said, we are not going to be just for one color church. We are going to be all races, all tribes, all different types of people. And that's what we're called to be. And if you've ever listened to the lie of the enemy that says you don't belong here because you're different than other people, that's a lie. You belong here. You are special. We need you here. We need you here. We need you here. I need you here. Don't you dare leave because of an offense thinking they don't value me. We do. I do. My wife does. Our pastors do. Our staff does. I could tell you story after story. I remember as a kid growing up, my mom and dad teaching us lessons and watching movies on all kinds of different things that had happened. I remember going into college, seeing the movie Schindler's List, seeing Hotel Rwanda, recognizing that racism and, and prejudice and the Holocaust, this stuff's been going on for years. And the people around you, they experienced a different type of life than you did in the 50s and the 60s. The people around you, they experienced a totally different decade in the 70s than you experienced. They experienced a completely different reaction after September 11th, 2001 than you did. I, my heart was broken this week. I read a story about a guy who joined the Marines in the last year who's Middle Eastern and, and guys were shouting at him, terrorist, terrorist, terrorist. 
And they chased him off the third floor of the building and he died as they were bullying him. And man, I just said, God, I don't want that inside of me. Listen, I'm, I'm, someone asked me last night, Paul, are we, are we supposed to love ISIS and terrorists? I said, listen, we're supposed to pray against the spirit of murder and the spirit of terrorism and the spirit of ISIS, but we are not supposed to hate a human being. I'm all for protection. I'm all for the military protecting, but I am not for hating another person. Do you hear what I'm saying? Some people say, well, I'm called to love America and love Israel, but you're also supposed to love Egypt and love Mozambique and love Iran and love Afghanistan and love India and love Canada and love Russia and love Mongolia and love Australia and love Hawaii and love Baton Rouge and love Mexico and love Brazil and love Cuba and love Panama. God didn't say only love America and Israel. He said, love all people. Who's your neighbor? Everyone. Everyone's your neighbor. Everyone's your neighbor. And you treat others the way you want to be treated. Do you want your kids growing up speaking terrible names and words over other people? Do we want to keep the cycle of hatred going? What if we could stop it? I think Tulsa is the best place, the best example for it to just launch. I think Victory is one of the best churches. And those that are watching on TV, I think we can do this. We can carry God's love. We can pray. You know, God stopped a terrorist in the New Testament named Saul who was terrorizing Christians. And God knocked him off his horse and said, I'm going to use you instead of being a terrorist to be an evangelist and to write half the New Testament. And your name is changing from Saul to Paul. Do you know God has used people in this church to witness to Muslims? I remember one man who got witness to, his name was Mohammed. He got witness to by someone in our church who just showed him the love of God, just showering God's love on Mohammed to the point where he came to church, gave his life to Jesus Christ. Now Mohammed has changed his name and he's preaching the gospel and he's sharing God's love and he's winning people who are Muslim to Jesus. Who's your neighbor? Everyone's your neighbor. So I want us to stand to our feet this morning and take our communion elements. Let it start with me, God. Let it start with us. Lord, help us not to just close our eyes, ignoring what's happening in the world, but God, help us to to hear the cries of people and to be the church that responds and that shows up and loves on people. And when people say, whose side are you taking? That we say, we're taking the side of compassion and and peace and love and Jesus for our city and for our nation and for the world. We're praying for police officers, but we're also praying for those that are hurting. We're caring for everybody. We're praying for this person and we're also praying for that person. Can I tell you over the next four or five weeks, I've already heard people have said, so-and-so on the news said, if, if this person can get nasty, I'm gonna get nasty in politics. Can I just tell you and warn you, don't let the nastiness of politics get on the inside of you where you start cyber bullying people that see things differently than you. 
Bullying is not just now happening live, it's happening on the internet all the time and it's hurting a lot of people. Watch your words, spread love like fire, spread Jesus like fire, light a match of hope, light a match of peace, light a match of reconciliation and man, just let it, let it soar on your Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, whatever you use at your workplace, bring people together. We're gonna do something today. I think there's people in this room, you say, I'm not right with God. I don't even know what communion is. I'm gonna explain it to you. Communion is remembering what Jesus did. This piece of bread, this little wafer that we're gonna eat today represents the body of our Lord Jesus Christ who was broken for us. He actually went to a cross 2,000 years ago to die for you and me. This juice represents the blood that he poured out for us. We're going to drink this juice and eat this bread in just a moment. But when we do, the Bible says, examine your hearts. If there's hatred towards a brother or a sister, if there's anything in you, there's sin that you need to repent of, come to the, the, the all merciful, graceful God and repent and he will give you mercy and grace this morning. And so here's what I want us to do. This is a little bit different. But I'm inviting all of us to come down to the altar call today. I know we can't all fit down here so we can get in the aisles, but I just want you to start moving towards the altar call if you can. And maybe just come down the chairs a little bit, come down the stairs a little bit. And today we're gonna make a decision that we're not only repenting personally, but we are repenting in our, in our nation, in the world for things that have been done, said, people who've been mistreated, and we are gonna stand together in the love of Jesus Christ, and we are gonna declare that this city, this nation is under God. In God we trust, in Jesus' name. Yeah, just begin to make your way down to this altar. I know not everyone's gonna fit, and that's okay, because right after this, we're gonna dismiss, and, and you'll get to go eat whatever you're gonna eat, and the football game will be ready for you. But this is more important right now than a football game. This is more important than, than Charlie's Chicken or wherever you're gonna go. This right here, this is the family of God. It's the most unified hour of the week. This is a place of reconciliation. Maybe you have been hurt. Maybe you've been listening today and you were reminded of playground memories. You were reminded of sitting in that employer's office and the things that they said to you. Maybe you were reminded of words, uncle or aunt or someone said to you. And today you're going, Lord, cleanse me. I'm gonna stop that cycle of hatred. I'm gonna stop that generational curse of prejudice in my family. I'm gonna teach our fam, I'm gonna teach our kids and teenagers how to love one another, how to love and celebrate each other. So why don't we all pray this prayer? Say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Your body was broken. Your blood was poured out so that I could be forgiven, so that I could be saved, so that I could know your love share it with others so I repent of my sins and I receive your forgiveness help me Jesus to receive your unconditional love so that I can share it with others in Jesus name 
Amen. We're going to sing this chorus, and you can open up your cup there. And if you didn't get one of these, raise your hand, and Usher will find you. But we're going to open this up, and we are going to take communion during this chorus. You can go ahead and begin to take communion. Go ahead and sing that song. The cross has the final word. The cross has the final word. The Savior has come with the morning light. The cross has the together and it's a confession of the message you heard today that we're going to walk this out we're going to put this confession up on the screens and later this week it'll be on Facebook people have asked if we can print it on cards so you can take it home and say it but let's say this together on the count of three one two three I believe that every person is made in the wonderful image of God I believe that God has created each of us different and special. I believe God loves me unconditionally so that I can learn to love others unconditionally. I commit to treat every person, regardless of color, culture, age, size, gender, or class, the way that Jesus would treat them. I will show respect and honor to all of God's creation. I will use my influence, however and whenever, to put a stop to racism, bullying, and disrespect. I will build bridges of peace, and I will tear down walls of division. I will be intentional about loving others and celebrating their uniqueness. I dedicate myself to a lifestyle of God's radical love for all people. Amen. Amen. Hey, church, man, I love you so much, and I believe you love each other. So we're going to dismiss by showing that love to one another.